Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. sing you a Werner von Braun, a man whose allegiance is ruled by expedience. Call him a Nazi, he won't even frown. Nazi schmazi, says Werner von Braun. Don't say that he's hypocritical, say rather that he's apolitical. Once the rockets are up, who cares where they come down? That's not my department, says Werner von Braun. <laughs> some have harsh words for this man of renown, but some think our attitude should be one of gratitude, like the widows and cripples in old London town who owe their large pensions to Werner von Braun. You too may be a big hero once you've learned to count backwards to zero. In German or the English, I know how to count down. And I'm learning Chinese, says Werner von Braun. Greetings, hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our resident rocket scientist... Slick Frank Sanders. Slick Frank Sanders here. I build rockets. He just builds rockets. I'm a rocket builder. He's rocket, rocket man. man. Join us as we explore America's involvement in harboring over 1,500 Nazi scientists, doctors, engineers, and specialists after the end of World War II. Absolving them of their war crimes and mixing them into military, scientific research, and private industries, and letting them live an American way of life. Before we delve into another Nazi-based conspiracy, just want to be sure to check out all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and as well as our Discord you can come chat with us. You can talk with other hushlings, talk about conspiracies. Judgment-free zone, boys. Also, check us out on Sundays. Come over to the community, to the society, and watch The X-Files with us. Hundreds and hundreds of episodes of Mulder and Scully. The sexual tension so thick you can cut it with a chainsaw. Oh my God. <laughs> 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday. You can also visit the official website of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, www.hushhushsociety.com. Yes, and on our website, you can listen to every one of our episodes. You can browse our blog section and find all of our links. You can also leave us a review right on our site, which helps us to improve the show and be all that we can be. It would also mean the world to us if you would go ahead and leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and or YouTube. For some of our new listeners who don't know, we have a Patreon. 
And for $5 a month, you can play a vital part in our society and become a true Hushlings. You'll gain access to monthly exclusive debriefings, conspiratorial news with the Frank Factor with Slick Frank Sanders and myself, and Cryptid Erotica with Mystery Mike that'll make your insides tingle. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I knew that was Feel coming. good about yourself. Feel good about your lover. Feel good about your fictional lover with wings massive wrapping around your body warm. Mike, how does it make you feel that people might make love with your voice playing in the background? Here's a funny thing. <laughs> I was talking with my wife and we had a conversation about that. She actually brought this up. She said, and it was something that I obviously didn't think about because I don't know. I don't know how many podcasters, radio personalities, whatever, think about these things, but it wasn't something that I was thinking about personally. She goes, how do you feel about the fact that someone is listening to your voice and quite possibly thinks that you are attractive based on your voice? This was obviously before we started video and everybody can see what I actually am. But yeah, she said, oh, how do you feel about that? I was like, ah, I've never thought about it. But now thinking about it, it's kind of weird that there's somebody out there that is literally throwing on one of our debriefings and going, I love when they talk about Nazis. Oh, there's there's got to be at least one person out there that feverishly masturbates to our stuff. (laughs) it's definitely a box on the checklist of podcasting that i think we could have checked off by now probably guy or girl whoever they identify as a somebody is either doing this or this (laughs) to all three of us and have living out their fantasy of a preceptor pound town i love those voices oh Mm -hmm. my god Again, by becoming a patron, you'll get free merch drops. We will send you the occasional goodie. You'll get news from the society ourselves and also early episode access. So you get the episodes a day before everyone else. So you can go to the water cooler with your friends and say, hey, I heard about this yesterday, you suckers. Go down to the water cooler. Check out all the fun over at patreon.com forward slash hush host society. And again, we'd like to say hello to our new watchers. The watchers. There's the hutchlings and now there's the watchers. It's a subsect of our society. We just made that up on the spot. You guys are now dubbed the watchers. We have two different loyal follower groups. Before we begin hushlings, Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for getting us to the incredible milestone of 100,000 plays. Yes. Thank you all so much. Blessed. All right, gentlemen, let's talk about Nazis. Again, this won't be the last time. Trust me. No, no. (laughs) Well, following World War II, the majority of Germany's remaining resources were shared among the Allied armies. The minds of the Third Reich scientists just so happened to be one of the most valuable spoils of war, since they were the minds that developed the greatest aeronautical and rocketry advances across the world at the time. Smart cookies. Smart schnitzels. Yeah, I was, was going to say, those <laughs> schnitzels are smart. Before being apprehended during the collapsed Germany, most of these war criminals had worked on the development of the German V-2 rocket at the Baltic coast 
German Army Research Center. As Allied forces seized German research installations, the Combined Intelligence Objectives Subcommittee, or CIOS, began collecting war-related records and resources and interrogating scientists. Oh, guys, um, I totally forgot to mention, just in the lighthearted spirit of this episode, I went out and bought a bunch of Nazi money the other day. Nazi money? Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Like Reichmarks? Yeah, yeah, like a bunch of German World War II era. Do they have Hitler's face on them? No, no, no. You sounded so disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a thing? I don't think that was a thing. I don't think he was on money, no. The war crimes programs and denazification policies of the U.S. and Britain were surprisingly quite relaxed when it came to the recruitment of former Nazi nuclear and long-range missile scientists. Originally dubbed as Operation Overcast, it was eventually renamed Operation Paperclip. Around 1,600 of these German scientists, together with their families, were shipped off to the United States during the Cold War to work on America's behalf. Subsequently, in 1946, the Soviet Union forcibly recruited more than 2,200 German specialists and their families during Operation Osevikim. The program was overseen by the newly formed Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency, or the JIOA. Their mission was to harness German intellectual resources to aid in the development of America's arsenal of rockets and other biological and chemical weapons, because America loves a good killing. World War II, we dropped the bomb of all bombs. Uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. Sorry, sorry. Allegedly we did that. I'm not sure. Then, following this mayhem, this carnage that we dropped on another country twice... We go and start to gather up as many killers, essentially, that we could possibly find to further make everything that we do militarily more devastating. Well, I think it's just a really interesting aspect of the Cold War that a lot of people just don't talk about. It's not really recognized. Most people think about the space race and the Cuban Missile Crisis and all of that. But here it was more of it's a race to who can be more devastating militarily between us and Russia. And obviously we want more of these people. They didn't want all of these hands to fall into Russians' arms. The Americans might have been terrified at the prospect. Look how quickly Russia took Berlin. We weren't the ones that did that. Everybody in the history books and school that's like, yay, the Americans won. Yay, yeah, yay. No. But it was the Russians that actually took Berlin and pretty much ended it there. So maybe knowing the might of the Russian military, like you just said, the powers that be were like, shit, dude, we got to get them all. Because if they get them, we're fucked. We were allies mm. with them in World War II, but we were still you know, on the fence. You know, We have to ask the question, how did the allies find so many Nazi scientists? The answer lies within the work of the operations we just spoke of and finding the Osenberg list. You may not know what the Osenberg list is. Mm. I actually didn't know what this was until we started doing research on it. And pieces of this list were discovered by a Polish intelligence officer in a toilet at the Bonn University in March of 1945. It was sent to MI6, then to US intelligence, and it was a pretty much an inventory of scientists and engineers who had been forced to work for the Third Reich. I don't like the word forced. 
I think that's that's a word used for justification. Do you think every single person was on board? I would say a bulk okay. of them were. That's fair. Yes. Were Nazi were. sympathizers? Sympathizers, but also I think that they were out to make devastating weapons, and they surely mm. fucking did that. I wouldn't say that they were forced to do that. I think it kind of gives scientists that were a part of the Third Reich a pass if you all kind of umbrella them under force to work. That was the American officials' way of thinking. Well, some of them were forced because they said they were forced. So we'll believe them. Well, yeah, if they're on trial, oh, they forced me to do it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) obviously, they're going to plead their case. Yeah, yeah. In 1943, Adolf Hitler pulled scientists, engineers, and technicians from combat service and deployed them to research groups to help with their war effort. Werner Osenberg, a physicist in Hitler's Defense Research Association, developed the list of prominent scientific brains to be reassigned from the Third Reich. So this Mm. Osenberg list was literally a list that Hitler told somebody to make. And it ended up in a toilet. Somebody to make. Yeah, and ended up in a toilet. (laughs) That's the interesting part of the story. It sounds something fictional almost that it ended up in a toilet. Early on, the CIOS offered targets for the T-forces, which went in and targeted scientific, military, and industrial sites, and their workers, for their know-how. The initial goals were advanced technologies, such as infrared, that could be utilized in a battle against Japan determining what technology had been handed on to Japan and ultimately halting the research. A project to halt the research was codenamed Project Safe Haven, and it was not initially targeted against the Soviet Union. Rather, the concern was that German scientists might immigrate and continue their research in countries such as Spain, Argentina, or Egypt, all of which had sympathized with Nazi Germany. Argentina is an interesting one. Because that's where they all are, and there's German towns in Argentina where they Isn't speak weird? the German. How'd that happen? Didn't Hitler live there until, like, the 70s? Probably. Took that shit stash right off and <laughs> hung around. Why would you not want to flex the stash? Because everybody would know he was Hitler. <laughs> yeah, because you can't obviously see that it's Hitler without his mustache. How many people do you see on this planet that was other than Charlie Chaplin and Adolf Hitler rocking that mustache right now? Like, you know. Well, he could have shaved it, grown out his hair a little bit, looked a little shaggy, or went the complete opposite way, grew Mm. a beard, and went shaggy. I think he would be less noticeable if he was wearing full beard. Like, full beard Hitler. Somebody Photoshop that for us. I want to see it. Um, oh my god <laughs> uh, no but his mustache i will say his mustache in world war one he should have just went back to that we got like the whole like wax tip thing going on you fuck with world war one hitler classic no no he was he was still <laughs> he was in there so he was still an asshole he was a drip okay. king drip king in the trenches <laughs> the CIOS was responsible for scouting and kidnapping high-profile individuals to prevent the technological advancements in nations outside of the United States. Those with special abilities or experience were taken to detention and interrogation camps such as Elderhorst in Germany or one codenamed Dustbin, where they were held and interrogated for months in some cases. 
Once the men were located, army intelligence verified their political and ideological reliability and paid the evacuees a collective settlement of 69.5 million Reichsmarks, which is approximately $173 million United States money. That was in 1948. In May of 1945, the U.S. Navy received in custody Herbert A. Wagner the inventor of the HS-293 missile. In August of 1945, the rocket branch of the Research and Development Division of the U.S. Army's Ordnance Corps offered initial one-year contracts to the rocket scientists, and 127 of them said, Hell yes. We either work for the government, or we get hanged by the neck until death. We'll give you $160 for every missile you come up with. Later in September of 1945, the first group of seven rocket scientists arrived at Fort Strong, located in Long Island in Boston Harbor. Among them were Werner von Braun, Eric W. Newbert, Theodore A. Poppel, William August Schultz, Eberhard Rees, Wilhelm Jungert, and Walter Schudewetzky. What nationality do you think those guys are? Probably German. Most of Probably them. German. I don't know. They're German American now, though, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Correct, that's you know? that's the PC right. hey, terminology. They're German American. Let's do a quick breakdown here before we move on. The war ends. America essentially headhunts scientists mm-hmm. that worked for the enemy. They definitely were a part of crimes against humanity. They offered them a pass by saying, you could come and you could work for us and develop our weapons. They vetted them. Who knows how intense that vetting was. But they vetted them. Then they gave them money to leave Germany, to come to America, to work for America. And they paid them a salary to do so, essentially wiping clean the slate of everything that they had done wrong in the name of furthering our military advancement. Mm -hmm. That's it. Beginning in late 1945, three rocket scientist groups arrived in the United States for duty at Fort Bliss, Texas, as well as White Sands Proving Grounds in New Mexico. In 1946, the United States Bureau of Mines employed seven German synthetic fuel scientists at Fisher Tropsch Chemical Plant in Louisiana and Missouri. That sounds like a German name itself. I didn't know that there was a Bureau of Mines. They're in charge of all the mines. Yeah, what? <laughs> That's it. It's only three people work in the department. <laughs> yeah, it's like the UFO research department at the Pentagon. A thought just occurred to me, though. They employed seven German scientists to go work at this company. Now, we're talking about this company sounding kind of German in origin. We talk about how the scientists were recruited by the United States to come work for the United States. Now, I wonder how many people or how many enemy were recruited or given passes to run major corporations or major businesses within the United States to avoid prosecution for war crimes? I'm sure out of the 1,600 or 1,500 people that we took, we're only talking about a handful, hundreds, Mm. as the top brains of the whole operation. 
they're all in the caves of the natural parks fucking conducting human research science some nasty shit like in that movie overlord was it dulce base is supposed to have like human experiments in it yeah yeah Yeah. it's probably a nazi base probably nazi scientists still working there on June 1st, 1949, the Chief of Ordnance of the United States Army designated Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama as the Ordnance Rocket Center. April 1st of 1950, the Fort Bliss Missile Development Operation, including Von Braun and his team of over 130 paperclip members, were transferred to Redstone Arsenal. In early 1950, legal U.S. residency for some of the Operation Paperclip specialists were affected through the U.S. consulate in Chihuahua, Mexico. Thus, German scientists legally entered the United States from Latin America. Everybody comes in through Latin America. Between 1945 <laughs> and 1952, the United States Air Force sponsored the largest number of paperclip scientists, importing over 260 men. So this is going on long into the 50s. 86 aeronautical engineers were transferred to Wright Field in Ohio, where the United States had Luftwaffe aircraft and equipment captured under Operation Lusty. Oh, Wright-Patterson. There you go. Now we're starting to get into really crazy tech mm. that the Nazis definitely fucking had. That's one thing that I've always been interested in, especially when it comes to World War II Germany and their scientists, is the technology. We've always talked about how they had such advanced militaristic capabilities and weaponry. And reading certain books have brought to light that maybe there was some sort of coalition between the Nazis and aliens or extraterrestrials. Who knows how true that is? But unless it was just really, really smart scientists that were coming up with these weapons of doom essentially it's always been very intriguing to me that they would come up with these advancements in weaponry that even america was like what the hell is that you know germans made the first jet right that's something that we hadn't even thought of as a country at that point it's an interesting thought like if not extraterrestrials or some sort of evil time traveler what made their scientists so superior to those of the rest of the world not only jets and missiles, but you're looking at their infantry troops, weapons, their tanks, everything was superior guns, in every yeah. single way. Like, mm -hmm. what made it that way? What gave them that advantage, if not some outside factor? Can you imagine, it, like, an MG42 hearing that for the first time in war? Yeah, and Ooh. you're running at them with an M1A with 10 rounds in it. Yeah, yeah, you're sitting there with a, a Thompson that's like, tot, 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 and these yeah. things are like... Also coupled with the thought that Hitler and the SS were very occultish, mm -hmm. that makes me wonder how much of that played a part in the development of these weapons and the development of their military. Because Hitler was obviously very much into this occultism and this darkness pretty much and trying to maybe summon things and maybe do some sort of magic. So... It does make me wonder how much that played a part in what they developed over that time. Mm. Interesting. Do you think crystals helped him rise to power? Crystals <laughs> and incense? 
The United States Army Signal Corps employed 24 specialists, including physicists, physical chemists, geophysicists, and engineers. In 1959, 94 more men went to the United States. Overall, through its operations up to 1990. That's crazy. What? 1990? Operation Paperclip imported more than 1,600 men as a part of the intellectual reparations owed to the United States and the UK. It's valued at $10 billion in patents and industrial processes. But it didn't go to reparations to people. It went to the military. Yeah, intellectual reparations. You owed us all this tech because of how much we fought. It's fucked. The reparations to the civilians were flags in a box. Here's a Costco gift card. Hushlings will return after this short message. Greetings, Hushlings. Come celebrate our 55th debriefing and two-year anniversary with the boys. We're going to set sail right into that conspiracy iceberg chart that we all know and love. We'll talk about some of our favorite moments over the last two years and give some stuff away. Join the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour live on Facebook Monday, August 15th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Now, you may be asking yourself, who were some of these guys? Let's start with where 90% of the program was centered on, rocketry. This introduces NASA. Have you guys ever heard of it? How about a guy named Warner Von Braun? Heard about that? Never heard of him. Have you seen mm-hmm. this? Have you heard about this? Von Braun was a German-American aerospace engineer and space architect. He was also a member of the Nazi Party, SS, and then ultimately the U.S. Army Ballistic Missile Agency, and eventually NASA. Doesn't that sound so terrible, though? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a Nazi. Now I'm in the U.S. Army. What a wild resume. <laughs> Now I'm a scientist that's going to take you to space. It is weird because there's obviously staff photos, I guess you could say, of NASA and their founders and scientists and whatnot. As a person who was affected by World War II, whether you be a gypsy or Holocaust survivor, and then you take a tour 50 years later, you go through NASA, you go through Kennedy Space Center, and you see a photo of Werner von Braun just in a nice suit. How triggering is that? Given a nice thumbs up. He's got like an, an American flag <laughs> lapel. <laughs> We're laughing at this, but it's not funny. It's not <laughs> funny. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. Yeah. While in his 20s and early 30s, von Braun worked in Nazi Germany's rocket development program. He helped design and co-developed the V-2 rocket at Pinamund during World War II. By the end of 1934, his group had successfully launched two liquid-fuel rockets that rose to the heights of two miles. The first successful launch of an A-4, which is more commonly known as the V-2, took place on October 3rd of 1942. Shortly after this, the Germans began firing them vigorously at Allied cities in England. While von Braun was pleading his case, he claimed to have never personally witnessed any beatings, torture, or deaths at camps or from other personnel, although it had become clear to him by 1944 that deaths had occurred. 
Oh, he was pretty geez. much saying, oh, I didn't know that was all happening. I was just focusing on the rockets. You guys were shooting rockets at people? <laughs> How irresponsible. What camps? I was making these for space. <laughs> Although some prisoners claim Von Braun engaged in brutal treatment or even approved of it, Guy Morand, a French resistance fighter who was a prisoner in Dora, testified in 1995 that after an apparent sabotage attempt, Von Braun ordered a prisoner to be beaten. I actually heard this story when it comes to Von Braun. I think it's one of the more prominent stories of him engaging in some sort of, or at least ordering some sort of beating of people. I wonder what that person did to like really tick this guy off. Uh, they put creamer in his coffee. Robert Casabon, another French prisoner, claimed Von Braun stood by as prisoners were hanged by chains suspended by cranes. Von Braun created and publicized his space station design during the Cold War, when the US government prioritized containment of the Soviet Union above everything else. Going back real quick, I did hear that story where the slowest workers in his factory were hanged at the entrance. He's quoted about his space station. He says, if armed with missiles that could quickly be converted from those now available, that would provide the United States with space dominance in both orbital and orbit-to-ground combat. Sounds very sci-fi for World War II-ish, mm. or the end of World War II, yeah. He has also stated that it would be particularly dreadful to possess these weapons. <laughs> you know damn well that this dude had butterflies in his stomach while he was saying this. Come on, dude. What is it? 1940s, 1950s, and this guy's saying the lines orbit or orbit-to-ground combat. <laughs> And they just finished a war and we're, are just now within 10, 15 years getting into another war where there's no such thing of that. These guys are getting trench foot and shit and mm. like it's just attrition. Yeah. So there's no orbit to ground combat. Maybe That's another thing that makes me think that there was some sort of extraterrestrial connection with all of them. It's like, who comes up with that idea? You've thought about going to space, but you didn't know the capabilities of doing that. And then you come up with the idea of a space station, which eventually gets built worldwide, but thankfully didn't have weapons attached to it. You came up with this idea by yourself, and you're trying to say that you didn't know that people were going to get killed by these things that you were creating? His whole quote in itself is, yeah, we could really fuck up some people. We could kill a whole lot of people, but we shouldn't do that. It would just be yeah. dreadful. That'd be a terrible thing. He even had a dream to help mankind set foot on the moon, which became a reality on the 16th of July, 1969, when a Marshall-developed Saturn V rocket launched the crew of Apollo 11 on its historic eight-day mission. Big dreams, little man. Over the course of the program, Saturn V rockets enabled six teams of astronauts to reach the surface of the moon. <coughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Even with Von Braun being a Nazi, he did bring massive developments to rocketry and space programs, and he did dream of having man leave the Earth and become an interplanetary species. He still was a fucking Nazi, though. <laughs> yes. That doesn't take that, that away. Now, hear me out. We weren't able to take the Earth, but we could take the universe. <laughs> so, quick question. And mm -hmm. I believe that we've spoken about it before, but I want to ask and get your honest opinion on it. 
do you believe that the Fourth Reich is in control of the world today? Yes. Partially. Tell me why. What makes you think that? I'd rather save that for final thoughts, personally. Okay, okay. Mm. Let's let's save it for yeah, final thoughts. Yeah, then. actually, yeah. I like that. I like the interaction, but I feel like that plays too much into the final hole that is final thoughts. Well, there's also Kurt H. DeBoos, who was actually the first director for the Kennedy Space Center. Yet during World War II, he was a member of the Nazi Party and joined the SA in 1933 and the SS in 1940. So this man was a motherfucker. Hey, he's working his way up the ranks. <laughs> yeah. In late 1945, he was transferred to Fort Bliss, Texas, under a contract as a special employee of the U.S. Army, as were all the other German rocket scientists yeah. that we have been talking about. You mean a super special SS employee? Yes. Very special. An SE during World War II, DeBoos was appointed by Hitler as the V-Weapons Flight Test Director and was actively engaged in the rocket research program at Pinamud and the development of the V-2 rocket. He was Deputy Director at the Guidance and Control Branch throughout December 1948 when he was promoted to Assistant Technical Director to Von Braun at the Redstone Arsenal in Alabama. In 1952, DeBoos supervised the development of rocket launch facilities at Cape Canaveral for the Redstone, Jupiter, Jupiter C, Juno, and Pershing military configurations, continuing through the early 60s and construction of NASA's Saturn launch facilities at the north end of Cape Canaveral. DeBoos was commemorated with a minor lunar crater being named after him on the moon's far side, good for him, as well as the Kurt DeBoos Conference Center at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. I have been there. To the far side of the moon? Isn't it interesting that they gave him uh, a crater on the dark side of the moon and not the side that we can see? Mmm, suspect. Maybe there's another conference center that's on the far side of the moon that's named after him. Maybe he got a crater on the far side of the moon because that's where the base is. Yeah. <laughs> in 1969, DeVoos was inducted into the National Space Hall of Fame. Whoa! Become a Nazi, get in the Hall of Fame. Since 1990, the National Space Club of Florida has given its annual DeVoos Award to persons involved in launch vehicles, spacecraft operations, ground support services, range activities, space education, and spaceport research and development in Florida. So you can have an award given to you that Jesus. is from a Nazi. And also, mind <laughs> you, if you guys have ever seen a picture of this guy, he has dueling scars all over his fucking face. This dude is a bad motherfucker. And for some of you listeners that don't know, a lot of these SS, maybe not even just SS, but Nazi troops and personnel dueled with each other with daggers and whoever drew first blood won so he lost a lot <laughs> yeah he's got like three or four he sucked <laughs> hans hassenthin arrived in america on november 16th of 1945 he worked with the Werner von braun rocket team at fort bliss white sands and huntsville and later became the head of the flight dynamics branch guidance and control division at nasa's marshall space flight center he has never been tried they didn't even try to get this guy for what he did no nope. mind-blowing man wipe the board mm -hmm. clean you killed a bunch of people you helped kill a bunch of people it's cool can you test fly a rocket 
<laughs> Can you get us to the moon? What do you know about rockets? They find the dude in a basement just slaughtering people covered in blood. <laughs> Sir, do you know anything about rocket propulsion systems? Come work for America. Fritz Mueller was the creator of the Pyga Accelerometer. It was used for guidance of aircraft and most particularly for ballistic missile guidance. Fritz was also involved in the development of gyroscopes for Nazi Germany's Kriegsmarine. Later, he worked on the A3 test rocket, the A5, and the A4, V2. Ballistic missiles, guidance, and control system. Smart cookie. You gotta give it to the people. They are smart. Yeah, they're very, very intelligent. But why? I think it's a combination of probably a lot of these guys were already rocket scientists before Nazi Germany blew up, but also some of them were probably taught in the ranks of other scientists. Mm. And a lot of these guys were in their 40s and 50s when we acquired them. They were probably already smart to begin with. And that's why the Nazis probably took them. They were like, well, you can die like everybody else, or you can help us shoot rockets and create chemical and biological weapons that make people suffer in horrible ways. Back to Mueller, though. Mueller arrived in the United States with the Argentina Group in November in 1945. He left NASA for private enterprise in 1960. Mm, so that answers your question from earlier, Mike. Did they go anywhere else? Private enterprise. So that takes you into other avenues. This is another Nazi that you guys have probably heard of. Arthur Rudolph. He was actually given to the British in Operation Backfire from July to October of 1945. There's so many operations to get these guys. It's not just paperclip. Backfire sounds like a bad thing, though. It's like, huh, we fucked up. Operation we fucking goofed. <laughs> Speaking of a goof operation, following Operation Backfire, you have Operation Overcast, which sent Rudolph to the United States for six months in November of 1945. So we just kind of snatched him for a little while from the British. After a lengthy questioning at Fort Strong, he was transferred to White Sands Proving Grounds in January of 1946 to work on furthering V2 technology. Rudolph was sent to the Ordnance Research and Development Division at Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas in January of 1947, where his family eventually joined him in April. Part of that moving money that we gave them. During his time at Fort Bliss, he acted as a liaison to the Solar Aircraft Company. He spent much of 1947 to 1949 in San Diego, California. Hey! Where there is a solar turbine building right outside the airport. Well, guys, those are some of the most prominent members of Operation Paperclip that have brought a lot of this technology to the Americans. There are other areas of this operation, though, that gained advancements from some of these Nazi resources. Some of the results were nuclear submarines and submarine-launched ballistic missiles and thermobaric bombs, or fuel air bombs. There was also the M60 machine gun, the A-10 Warthog, television-guided missiles, as well as Adolf Boosman's swept wing fighters like the F-15, as well as the Vulcan minigun. Wait, television-guided missiles? Yes. Is that a real thing? TV guided missiles like you're watching a screen on the TV and you're the one controlling it now it's not the F-15 that he created we're gonna have a lot of military people be like you fucking idiots like the no. F-15 
yeah, a swept wing aircraft similar to the F-15, hmm. which they're making jet aircraft. We also have the innovations of extreme cold weather fighting gear, as well as other military tactics like the size of fighting squads or the focus of the machine gun being the most important weapon. There's also infrared night vision technology, the coal scuttle helmet, and I believe it's still in use in the U.S. Army today. There is also methamphetamine, the greatest innovation to come from the Nazi mines. Also an American problem now. Yeah, yeah, huge problem. Nazis made meth. So many more achievements. (laughs) I wouldn't call them achievements, really, but... There's electronics such as navigation systems, radar, and satellites. High-temperature medicine, which includes biological and chemical weapons, as well as space medicine, to the development of the CIA-based programs such as MKUltra, and even the CIA itself. Ex-Nazi troops or scientists use mind control and torture tactics, as well as biological warfare. That's very true to character. We talked about mm. that in our Holocaust denial episode. As well as MK Ultra. Nazis touch everything. We've been into the Nazis since day one, OG. Oh my god. <laughs> we actually the three of us got together and said, Hey, you guys want to start a podcast about Nazis? And <laughs> here we are. <laughs> oh, good great origin story, guys. Yeah. The Hush Society Conspiracy Hour was started by three young gentlemen back in August of twenty twenty. They hope to have a podcast about Nazis and all the atrocities that they performed. Here we are two years later. That's how we're going to do the intro to the two-year show. Yes. Even fluoridation of the population's water supply might be caused by some of these acquired experts. The Nazis did put that stuff in their own drinking water, and I'm sure they put it in the drinking water of countries that they took over. Mm. The ones that weren't bombed bits. There's obviously some controversy to all of this, clearly. President Harry Truman actually prohibited the CIA from hiring any active Nazi members or supporters. Did they do it anyways? Yes. Yeah, you know they didn't listen to that order. You might be asking yourself, was there anything positive to come from this? It doesn't appear so unless you consider the scientific medical advancements that were made. Everything else just seems to be tools of war. There's also the possible trip to the moon. That could also be used for Nazi gain, though. Mm. Nazi space lasers. Yeah. Yep. Nevertheless, officials at the GAIOA and the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, the forerunner of the CIA ignored this directive by removing or whitewashing incriminating evidence of possible war crimes from the scientists' records. Of course they did. Believing their intelligence was critical to the country's post-war efforts. When you, as an American, look at the history of America, especially around World War II, don't forget this. Because we didn't give a fuck about the Holocaust. We didn't care about any of that shit going on. What it all boiled down to was becoming the big bad bosses that we were and then stealing Nazi technology and scientists. It's really what it all boils down to. Essentially becoming the power that they were. Yeah, Germany 2.0. Well, boys, how do you feel about some Reddit? Let's get it on the subs. Every episode, we comb the subreddits 
and find interesting things that pertain to the topic we're talking about. Here's our first one. The user, Peculiar Reasoning, looked at Operation Paperclip under a different light. And they said, quote, America has essentially become a massive Nazi concentration camp ever since Operation Paperclip. They've been experimenting on us for close to a century using vaccines, chemicals in food or drink, ointments, beauty products, hygienic products, water, clothing, etc. You get the idea. The user went on to say pretty much everything advertised in the mainstream has chemicals in it that cause a number of side effects that are only just recently being talked about. It was worse 30, 40, 50 years ago and corporations got away with it a lot more. The research is out there, but you're not going to find it easily. I do enjoy the people that are very, very deep into the rabbit holes. Yeah. Like, yeah, you'll find it on this one page on the dark web that you won't be able to find. It's there, though. (laughs) But, hey, I appreciate you. He goes on to say, get books on living a holistic lifestyle, and it explains some of it. RFK Jr. talks about a lot of it. Archive.org delve very deep into a lot of it, too. Not sure if they're still on there, though. Thanks for the direction. I want to say with that one that he's probably hit, whoever it is, hit the nail on the head with the experimental part. Yeah, that's I think so. That's definitely something that's been happening. I'm sure even before we acquired Nazis. There's also the user Daler, and they said Operation Paperclip 2.0 is actually underway. And they posted a tweet from April 29th that showed an article from Bloomberg.com saying that, quote, the Biden administration has a plan to rob Putin of some of his best innovators by waiving visa requirements for science, tech and engineering jobs. Oh, boys. This episode was very informational and um, Mm -hmm. there is no denying this happened. So I am very interested to get into our final thoughts and see what we think of the overall Operation Paperclip as a whole. Declassified Dave, what are your final thoughts? I think it's very douchey what we did. I think absolving any of these people of their war crimes is douchey and shitty on the part of the people that suffered from it. On the other hand, would the United States be as advanced as it is if we didn't do it? Maybe, maybe not. But like you just said, this is factual. This is something that happened. This is ingrained in our space program. And a lot of the military tech that we use today, operation paperclip has always just been a weird thing for me because it's just like, man, what was going through these guys heads thinking, eh, we'll just, you did that. You had 1 million body count. No worries. No worries. But getting to the point that we talked about earlier, real quick, pertaining to the Fourth Reich, I think that there's definitely aspects of what they were about and now what we're about. I don't think the Nazi party ever, ever went away. Could they be on the moon? Could they be in Antarctica? Could they be in Argentina? Deep? Who knows? But I really don't think that it fully ended. I think Operation Paperclip was just the beginning stages of the continuation of a lot of the things that that party and organization and government, whatever you want to call it, was about. I have a thought that's kind of controversial. I think for as messed up as it was for us to forgive these war crimes and as just ridiculous as it is, 
I'm going to say that it was a good thing on the part of being beneficial to us as a culture or as a world. Who knows where we would have been had we not acquired these scientists, especially von Braun. Who knows how long it would have taken us to develop these rocket systems, to develop an, an aerospace agency. Who knows what would have happened? And then it further leaches into our militaristic abilities and capabilities and radar and a whole lot of other things that these scientists brought with them that we still use today. And we built further on that. I do fully believe that the Nazi party or the Fourth Reich or whatever name that they are under now, whatever corporate entity they're hiding behind, I fully believe that they are definitely still a group. They are still major players in the world. I think that they control a lot of the things that we take, a lot of the things that we go through, a lot of the information that we take in on a daily basis. But that's for another show. I will say Operation Paperclip, beneficial for us, as fucked up as it was. Slick Frog Sanders, it's time, baby. It's time. Give us your final thoughts. Frog's final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um, now, I've kind of got an outlandish final thought for you, and I'm not positive that I 100% believe it or not yet. I think it might be a possibility. Now, throughout the debriefing, I asked a couple of times, what gave these Nazis this advantage? What gave them this technological superiority that made us seek out their scientists to take for our own advancements, right? And extraterrestrials comes up a lot. What if it was not extraterrestrials? What if it was, in fact, say, a time traveler from the future that was a Nazi sim sympathizer, an anti-Semite, some sort of clan member or something, and some time traveler goes back in time to the 30s, the 20s, as early as you really want to make it and gives the Nazis some sort of technology that allows them to travel through time, whether it be a time travel device in itself or just the means to create some sort of time travel device. What if the Nazis happened to use some sort of time travel means to finagle their way into winning the war without actually winning the war? So obviously the Nazis lost the war in our version of history. There was the whole fall of Germany. There was the splitting of the German resources between the allied forces. But what if covertly the Nazis were able to get people into power in the United States prior to the fall of Germany that actually made Operation Paperclip a possibility? Say Germany uses a hypothetical time machine finds out they're going to lose the war, but they say, okay, well, if we just win the war outright, something dramatic and tragic is going to happen to the whole planet. We can't rain terror on a planet that doesn't exist or doesn't have a population. So we need to lose the war while still winning the war, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. What if they get people into power in the United States without anybody knowing? Bring a child to the U.S. in the late 1800s, 1890s, say, let that child grow up with some sort of, you know, Nazi parents or something, get them into power in United States government, 
plant the seed of the idea in their head of Operation Paperclip once the fall of Germany happens, giving all of these German scientists and engineers the rite of passage into the foreign motherland that is the United States, which is a global powerhouse, and putting them into positions of massive power and influence within our country while they still lose the war technically. So even though they lost, they're still in the U.S., an absolute powerhouse. They made big money moves. They made big money moves, and they might still continue to be making some sort of crazy power plays. Influence for these final thoughts is The Man in the High Tower, or The Man in the High Castle, whatever that show is, and a fake fictional documentary called The History of Time Travel. I think that was on Amazon Prime. I would highly recommend both of those because those are the two pieces of film that actually got me thinking that way. Those are my final thoughts. There's a lot of references in pop culture to the Nazis or uh, Japan or even Korea winning the wars that we said that we won. Mm -hmm. And art imitates life. I don't know how much it's true, but the whole thought that our history has been wrong. The history that we've learned has been altered and the history that we know may not be the actual factual. That in itself, mind-blowing. Think about it. A time traveler goes to Adolf Hitler and says, I've traveled infinite versions of reality and this is the only way that you can stay in power. If Nazis are still running the world, that's the only way I could see it playing out, like in secret with them still technically losing the war. Yeah, stop flying the flag. Just yep. go into the shadows and rule from there. Stuff, That's guys. a wild one. Hushlings. Very, very interesting final thoughts. I'm all here for it. Was there anything that we missed in this episode? Anything that we should have talked about? Anything that we should have pointed out? Did we accidentally leave the list of German scientists on the John? Reach out to us. You can hit us up at our email, as always. Contact at hushhushsociety.com. Join us for our next debriefing and hushlings. Two-year anniversary. On Monday, August 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, where we crack open the conspiracy iceberg chart and party because we're toddlers. We're two years old. (laughs) Bring on the milk. And that's going to be live on Facebook video as well. That will be available streaming everywhere August 22nd. On Thursday, August 18th, we will be rolling out another exclusive Patreon-only debriefing where we will explore the notion that nuclear weapons may not exist. One last thing, Hushlings, keep those pepperoni eyelids peeled for live Twitter spaces, Instagram Live, Twitch streams, and giveaways. Thank you again for joining us with another debriefing on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.